Welcome to Run Out Grooves. It's a sports podcast about music and a music podcast about sports. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. back i'm your least favorite lupine wolf rambats and i am joined by dave fonseca how's everything's going what's up wolf i'm excited to talk about some hoops oh yeah on the pod today the nba regular season has tipped off and in opposition to my usual pessimism we're going to run down every team in the league and give you one reason why you might want to watch them if you're new to the nba this is the podcast for you Let's take a quick break, and then we'll see how long we can go before devising a scheme to get Victor Webinyama to the Spurs. Want an inside look at the music industry? Join Corey, Curtis, Holly, and me, Aaliyah, as we interview music professionals and go over hot topics in the industry. Listen to C-Squared on Spotify today and get the knowledge you need to market your music, or just learn more about the artists you love. Hello, this is the Correction Bot 9000. This podcast was recorded on October 23rd when the biggest story in the NBA was Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole. In the time since, the Brooklyn Nets suspended Kyrie Irving for promoting an anti-Semitic movie and refusing to apologize and disavow it. Former Charlotte Hornets forward Miles Bridges pleaded no contest to a felony domestic violence charge. And the San Antonio Spurs cut Josh Primo for exposing his genitals multiple times to a Spurs employee. I will link the stories about all three in the liner notes. Pablo Torre and David Dennis Jr. breaking down the Kyrie Irving suspension on Debatable, Diana Moskovitz reporting on Josh Primo, and Tom Lay on Miles Bridges. In the words of Curtis Blow, basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way they dribble up and down the court. So we're going to start our NBA preview. We're talking basketball. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start our NBA preview by dribbling out one reason to watch every team this season. To help move this conversation along, Dave has employed the time-tested podcaster technique of contriving a complex tier system. Dave, take it away. Well, Wolf, with the start of the NBA season, I've got money on my mind. See, the NBA isn't just a league, it's a society. And just like any society worth its weight in fiat currency, this one's rigidly divided by tiers that are almost impossible to traverse. Sure, the wealth trickles down, but only after it's had a few knee surgeries. So today we start with the one percenters, teams that not only have generational wealth, but a healthy asset outlook for the future. Just like the wealthiest folks that have so much money, they start getting stuff for free, these teams are loaded with more talent than they know what to do with. So in this tier, I have the Denver Nuggets, the Golden State Warriors, who are the defending champions, the Los Angeles Clippers, my Boston Celtics, and maybe Wolf's Boston Celtics, I don't know, and the Milwaukee Bucks. So Wolf, for starters, what do you make of my tier, and what are your thoughts on these teams that inhabit it? Yeah, I guess we should say that at the end of this, we're going to pick a league pass team for me because I need somebody to root for this season. So you're not, not, you're not doing the Celtics this year. I mean, if you can sell me on the Celtics, I'll be a Celtics guy again. 
let's take a look at this tier and uh, let's go ahead and start from the bottom up. So one of the teams you got here is the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a team that I probably disagree with being in this top tier the most, just because I think that while the system works, the guys are old. My pushback here is that we're doing, I think, something kind of clever here by doing our season preview one week into the season. So we can get a sense of kind of what's happened a little bit and really track a better trajectory for each team. And one thing I think the trap people fall into when they're making their season previews is they just start listing guys who could get 15 points on any given night on a team. And the more of those guys a team has, the more excited people get about them. Now, Milwaukee does not over-index in this category, but I think they've got really solid coaching. They've got a tested system that has already won them a championship. And I think most importantly, they do have the best player in the world in Giannis. So I think they're going to figure out a way to run that system throughout the season. I think it gets them to 55 wins pretty easily without overstressing their best player. And when it comes time to actually win games in the playoffs, I think their system is going to outweigh some of the talent that they'll come up against. That's my reason to watch Milwaukee. And that's why I have them in this tier. Yeah, I agree with your reason to watch. I mean, Giannis is just an incredible player. He's going to do something that you'll never see somebody do in a basketball court, maybe, you know, before Mm -hmm. or after. Knocked away and stolen. Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Giannis Antetokounmpo from Chris Middleton. I hear you. I just think that, you know, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, at some point, the human body's got to start breaking down. Sure. And, you know, maybe this is going to be the year, but. The East seems pretty free and clear. So, you know, maybe they can take it all the way to the finals again. Speaking of a team that was in the finals, the Boston Celtics, they were the finalist out of the East last year. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum look absolutely unstoppable to start the year. I think the reason to watch this team is that I think these guys might be kind of up next. Currently, the, I think the established hierarchy of the best players in the league is, is pretty much untouched with what it's been for the last couple of years. It's Giannis, it's Jokic, it is LeBron, all the, the names that we've been hearing kind of over and over and over for the last couple of years, and rightly so. I think Jason Tatum is the next guy to break into the very top tier, and I think he's going to do it this season. So I think the reason to watch the Celtics is you're seeing somebody on the verge of superstardom in Tatum. And in Jalen Brown, his teammate is somebody who thinks he's just as good as him and maybe even better. So what will be the interesting drama within that team is can they sort of maintain a healthy on-court relationship while they are competing with each other to crack into that top tier of players? And then the, the subtext here is that they've got a brand new coach, uh, Joe Mazzula, who's a super young guy, youngest coach in the league. And he's stepping in for Ime Odoka, who was suspended for an entire year due to some sexual harassment allegations that still haven't been clarified because the way the NBA reports on internal drama is totally fucked up and driven by agent agendas. So we'll never know what happened there, I don't think. I think Boston has like one of the stronger cases to watch. They've got the drama of the coaching change, and they've got really talented players. So that one's an easy one for me. And you're going to have a lot of opportunities because they'll be on national TV a lot this year. How many more all-star appearances does Tatum have to make before he makes good on 12-time Tatum? <laughs> so that is a reference to the uh, Open Floor uh, podcast from SI, Ben Golliver, Andrew Sharp back in the day, who mockingly referred to Tatum as 12-time Tatum when he first got drafted and all the Boston writers were infatuated with him. 
I got to tell you, I think it's going to be like 15 time Tatum. And that, that, so I think he's well on his way. Yeah. I'll wrap this up by saying that Boston probably has my favorite bench mob of all these mm-hmm. teams. So that's probably another reason to watch. Who's a, who's a standout on that bench for you? Oh, geez. I mean, either of the Williams, probably. I like me a big meaty boy and those are two big meaty boys. So yeah, that's, there's a lot of violence coming off that bench, which is a, a, a reason to watch those guys. Best part about this team is that we take care of each other. Defensively, that's all we can accomplish. Uh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to, I mentioned before, a bad way to do previews is to just look at a roster and list off how many 15 points a game guys they have and then determine if they'll be good based on that. But this next team, the Los Angeles Clippers, is your classic They've got a lot of guys who can get you 15 type of team. But I actually think that there's going to be decent chemistry here. And after several years of stumbling and not being able to figure it out, I do think this is the year that Los Angeles Clippers, led by Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, actually figure it out. What do you think, Wolf? Do you think they belong in this tier or am I being overambitious? I think you're being overambitious just because we don't know how much Kawhi is going to play this year. Mm-hmm. If we get Toronto Raptors, Kawhi in the playoffs, like I'm all in on this Clippers team. Mm-hmm. Like that would be incredible. But he's coming off the pine to start the year. Looks kind of hesitant, not getting full minutes. I don't think he's playing much. I think they're resting him as much as possible. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a tough ask for me, just given the, the history of the Clippers as well. I think you mentioned the playoff Kawhi. And I think that's very important, but I also wonder if the Los Angeles Clippers can replicate regular season Kawhi like the Raptors did in that 2019 season when they won the title because Kawhi did not play every day and he usually played limited minutes. But I think the Clippers have a good coach in Toronto, Lou, someone who's creative and shown that he can make adjustments. And you know, the Clippers were a decent team last year. They've been consistently a decent team. So the question is, can they continue to be a decent team throughout the regular season, relying on that deep bench of guys like John Wall and Reggie Jackson and you know this, the Luke Kennards of the world? And then when it comes time for the playoffs, can their superstars step up? And I think you know the purpose of this podcast is to get non-NBA fans to one reason to watch every team. I think the reason to watch the Clippers is that it's kind of like a social experiment. And the experiment is, can you win an NBA championship with the best player on your team kind of being marginalized throughout the whole season and coming off the bench? I don't know if you can do that or not, but that's what the Clippers are trying. We're moving on now, swiftly moving on to the Golden State Warriors, the defending champions. Okay, so the question here is, why should a non-NBA fan watch this team? From a purely basketball point of view, this is the team that, in my opinion, plays the most beautiful basketball. They refuse to sort of like give in to the contemporary style of running pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, much to the chagrin of their fans. They continue to kind of run this open, you know, spread the floor, pass the ball around, find the good shot offense. So that's the basketball reason. And it's led by Steph Curry, who is one of the greatest shooters of all, the greatest shooter of all time, not one of the greatest shooter of all time. And Clay Thompson, who is one of the greatest shooters of all time. And They've got talent and competence all over the roster. Now, to the non-basketball reasons, I am captivated by what's going to happen with the Draymond Green drama with this team. For the uninitiated, Draymond Green and was caught on camera 
and this video was published by TMZ, punching teammate Jordan Poole in the face. Why did he punch him? Well, probably because Jordan Poole just signed a huge new contract while Draymond is awaiting to come to terms on a new contract for himself. Probably not going to get one now. We've seen this happen before with the Golden State Warriors when Draymond Green was feuding with teammate Kevin Durant throughout the entire season back in 2018-19. So he's at it again. Can the leadership and talent of Steph Curry override the undermining influence of Draymond Green? I think that's the narrative question that's going to drive the entire Golden State season. I guess my two big reasons for why people should watch this team is going to be one, Steph Curry. Curry splits the defense behind the back, fires a three. Oh, he puts it in! What a spectacular move! And it's the largest lead of the game. My second thing is that what a fascinating team of like tertiary players. Not only do you have Wiggins, who was a former number one draft pick, who kind of salvaged his career in Golden yeah. State, but you have James Wiseman coming off the bench, who's a number two pick. Mm-hmm. oodles of talent like does that guy put it together and Jordan yep. Poole's coming off the bench yep. Jordan Poole is probably like going to be your sixth man this year yep and then you've got the other lottery picks from a season ago and Moses Moody and Kaminga I mean it's like I've I've never seen a team that has been kind of divided between two generations so cleanly they've got the old guard in Clay Thompson Steph Curry Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala who are all vital parts of their numerous championship wins. And then they've got Moody, Kaminga, Wiseman. And then you could say Poole and Wiggins are sort of like linking those two eras of the NBA, at least. You don't often see teams like this. You don't see multiple guys kind of sitting under the learning tree of existing Hall of Famers on a single team. So yeah, they're fascinating in a lot of reasons. It's We're kind of lucky that a lot of the most fascinating teams are also the best, because if you are you know, a casual fan, you can see these teams on a Thursday night on TNT pretty frequently. Finally, the final team in the in the top tier, and this is the one that I actually think I might have been overambitious with, is the Denver Nuggets. Before I said that Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA, the best guy on this team, Nikola Jokic, makes a good argument for himself. He is, you know, the reigning MVP, two-time MVP. He's kind of like a he's kind of like a a mix of Giannis and Curry in that not only is he dominant top tier top player in the league but he's also one of the most fun players to watch too like totally inventive totally unique doesn't play like anybody else. Jokic underneath the Porter. Wow, puts it in there. And coming back for Denver are two players who were injured last year, but were pivotal to their their run during the bubble season back in 2020. We've got Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., who might be the most interesting player in the league, given he's played so little. But the glimpses that we've seen are totally intriguing and seem like they could be the missing piece to a championship. So what do you make of Denver? Am I overestimating their chances? Do they belong in this top tier or are they a lower tier squad? I think they're a lower tier squad. They're kind of in the same wait and see boat as, you know, maybe a Bucks for me. Mm-hmm. They kind of have the reverse problem as the Bucks, where I think the Bucks pick is overambitious because the players are old. I think the Denver pick is overambitious because we have these two young guys and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. that's coming back from serious injuries. And like, we don't know how they're going to be. Also, we don't know if Michael Porter Jr. is good. We know, we know he is an elite shooter. 
and especially for his size. We do know that, but we don't know how that functions over the course of a full season in playoffs yet. That's the real question is, can he apply those talents consistently? I think is the question with MPJ. Right. Because his CV so far is like one good playoff run, right? Right, right. Yeah. That actually raises a question for me. Going back to those bubble playoffs in 2020, this is when the NBA season was paused due to COVID, came back several months later in the, uh, in the late summer into the fall, and all the games were played in sort of isolation, no fans at Disney. And we saw offensive performances from players that have not been matched since. And some of the players who were the most impressive during this time were Denver Nuggets players, particularly Jamal Murray, who put up several 50-point games, and MPJ, who was the most consistent he's ever been. My question to you is, is the bubble, was that the realest basketball has ever been, or was it the fakest basketball has ever been? It's That's a tough question because those were like practice games, right? Just mm-hmm. due to the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. No one's in the arena, so the pressure's kind of off. I remember I used to have a friend that was a big Indiana Pacers fan mm-hmm. and his frustration was with Jonathan Bender. He was called a practice squad legend. Cause I guess Jonathan mm-hmm. Bender would just shoot everyone off the court during practices. And then when it came game time, he would just absolutely fall apart, be a total non-entity. Yeah. I'm wondering what would happen if we took all the guys that we wanted to have be good your Jonathan Benders and your Anthony Randolphs, and we put them in the bubble, what does that team look like? What's interesting to me is I think it was very pure and very real basketball because there were no distractions. So you were seeing everybody at their best. But the reality is, is that distractions are part of being in the NBA. You're never going to have an NBA season without distractions. So it's tough to assume anyone will be able to replicate the performances they had in that situation. All right. You ready for the next tier? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. We're moving on to what I call the easy come, easy go tier. This is the new money. Folks who lucked into some assets, they could spin into long-term prosperity or blow on a weekend bender, which is NBA for signing James Harden. So in this tier, we have Dallas, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Minnesota, and Phoenix. And just to kind of like clarify what I mean by this tier here, these are teams that have superstars and they could propel that into something long lasting, but I could also see it just as easily falling apart this season. So let's start with Dallas, who I haven't had a chance to watch much this year. All I know is that they have an MVP contender in Luka Doncic and you know somebody that is already establishing himself as one of the all-time great players. And... It might be early to say this, but some folks believe he's making a run for one of the greatest players of all time already in just a few short seasons in the league. Oh, stolen by Doncic! A three! So if you have someone like Luca, you're always going to be in it. That's the reason to watch, because he is a phenomenal player. He has the sort of passing ingenuity and creativity of a someone like Jokic, but the scoring ability of a guard like, you know, James Harden. The question is, is he going to want to continue to be on a Dallas team that is maybe just a middling contender given the rest of the roster? What do you forecast for them this year? Do you see them going back to the, uh, the Western Conference Championship or are they going to be outclassed as the West gets stronger? I kind of felt that them making it so far last year was kind of fluky. You know, the way that 
LeBron James was consistently in the finals every year from 2010 to 2020 was they figured out how to build a team around a guy who needed to have the ball in his hands at all times. And it didn't necessarily require like the biggest talent in the league, but what it required was consistent role players who could play defense and shoot the ball. And I think I'm just not sure that Dallas has locked that in yet. And I don't know if Luca has like the consistency and comfortability with the roster around him to just trust that he can, you know, penetrate into the lane and blindly kick out to someone who's going to consistently hit a three pointer yet. If they figure that out, then there's no reason that he can't have a run like that, considering how talented he is. But I'm going to wait and see because I don't think they have it yet. Right. Of all the teams we've talked about so far, if there's going to be a buyer at the trade deadline, I think it's the Mavericks. And what's for sale might actually be uh, very suited to them because if, you know, maybe we're getting too deep into the details here for the, the super casuals, but if Indiana is offering up Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, uh, that's precisely what Dallas needs. Okay. We touched on these guys a little bit before Philadelphia. I still have them in the higher tiers. Listen, they've lost early in the season, but they've been playing the cream of the crop so far. So I watched the Philly Boston game and I just wrote down in my notes, Philadelphia is going to be excellent against bad teams. And I think that's how they're going to get to 50 wins. Defensively, it's going to be trouble because they have to play James Harden a lot of minutes and he is still an awful defender. He will double at the wrong times. He is caught ball watching consistently. And so that's going to be hard for them. And they're also going to struggle because they've got two of the most fantastic players in the league. That's undeniable. James Harden, for as much as you know, NBA fans like to shit on him for constantly hunting fouls and always being out of shape and sort of like contributing more to, you know, the strippers of his community than to his teammates. Like he is a very creative player who knows how to get 30 points easy every night. The problem is also on this team is two-time MVP runner-up Joel Embiid, who's also a fantastic interior player who can also put up 30 easy every night. But these two players are incompatible. One of them needs to fundamentally change how they play basketball in order for this to work. And the question is, if either of them does that, do they just suddenly become not that elite of a player anymore and the whole thing just spirals out into mediocrity? I don't see a path beyond you know, second round contender for this team. Yep. I think they'll make it to the playoffs just because the East is that weak again. But it's kind of tough when you have two players that in their prime are MVP caliber and the make or break for this team is like, does Tyrese Maxi make the jump? I think a situation that a lot of mediocre teams find themselves in, when you start listing sort of like the all offense, no defense scoring guy as like the difference maker for your team, that's when you know things are in, tr- in trouble. The questions you're going to ask yourself, like, is our backup center good enough? That's a good team question. You know, do we have enough defense off the bench? You know, can can the second year guy that only played five minutes a game last year kind of help us and give us 12 minutes a night and hit some threes? That's a good team question. Can our scoring wing be the the straw that stirs the whole drink for our whole season? That's a that's a bad team question, I think. I mean, if there's ever a time for a Phillies sports team to be bad. It's right now because all eyes are not on the 76ers. Right. Right. Phillies are in the World Series. 
Eagles are undefeated and the Flyers are going to be the worst team in the NHL. So like they're going to be fine. They'll figure yeah. it out. They'll get to the playoffs, but it's going to be another disappointing year. I feel right. The reality is, is the NBA season is way too long. And as a result of that, a lot of these early season games end up not mattering all that much. So sometimes, you know, a couple of early season losses don't really amount to much, but what we're seeing on the court, I'm not projecting success in Philadelphia. Moving on to another team that needs to be in a top tier considering the amount of talent that they have, but could be headed toward disaster. I have the Brooklyn Nets. Why should you watch this team? I think the answer is kind of similar to why do people slow down when there's a car accident on the highway? With Kevin Durant requesting a trade before the season and Kyrie Irving saying, you know, <laughs> Kevin Durant requesting that trade actually made us better as a team. <laughs> You have all the uh, all the gruesome details for a intense NBA psychodrama. This is a funny team to me because I could see them winning 55 games t- thanks to the talent that they have. We haven't even mentioned Ben Simmons, who didn't play a single game last year for DNP fear. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. If you want to understand the memes that your friends who follow the NBA are posting throughout the season, you're going to want to watch the Nets because they're going to generate the most memes of any team, I think. Have you seen the Elvis movie? I have not, but this is going to be an amazing comp and I can't wait for it. Elvis has three stages in his career. He has his prime and that's KD in Oklahoma City. And that is when he's making the rock and roll music that changes America and changes the world. And then he goes to Korea and he comes back and he's sort of floundering, making movies that you know are still very profitable and earning him a lot of money and success, but people aren't as interested in his career as they used to be. That's Kevin Durant in Golden State. It's sort of like the very profitable, but it's clear that he's lost the hearts and minds of America. Katie in Brooklyn is the interminable Vegas residency for Elvis, where again, he is locked in and trapped in a situation that there's no foreseeable escape from. And you can tell that KD wants to leave. I mean, he demanded a trade. And Kyrie Irving is like Colonel Tom Parker, who is trapping Kevin Durant by his side in this hopeless situation. Now, Colonel Tom needed to stay in Vegas because he had to pay off his gambling debts. Kyrie is stuck in Brooklyn because nobody wants him anywhere else. So he's locked KD in with him. Nevertheless, if I could go back in time and watch Elvis perform Suspicious Minds in Vegas, I would do it because he's one of the greatest performers of all time. And even in a bad situation, he was electric. And that's KD in Brooklyn. He's in a terrible situation, trapped by these nefarious individuals that he's chosen to associate with. And yet he is still electric. I love it. I love it. It was it was it was worth it was worth it. It was worth it. Steve Nash is Buzz Lerman. So yeah. I mean, the, the reason that Kyrie can't leave Brooklyn is because, of course, as we know, there's an ice wall outside of Brooklyn and the earth is flat in Europe. So <laughs> Kyrie tried to leave Brooklyn and he walked into the mouth of a dragon. <laughs> okay. Speaking of ice walls, let's talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now I think this team fits this tier, not necessarily because they're a top tier team, but I think they're in this tier because they are sort of in that really pivotal 
it could go really well, it could go really bad phase. The reason to watch them is because they are constructed unlike any other team in the league in that they've got two centers, essentially, in Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert at the center of it all. And then they've got Anthony Edwards, who is probably the best player on the team and an electric offensive player who's still learning how to play basketball. So they're going to be interesting. And there's already internal drama with Edwards kind of speaking out and saying, you know, the team is at its best when I can drive the lane and there's not people clogging it up, essentially, is, is what he said, referring to the fact that they've got these two seven-footers taking up all this space, and that's not how NBA basketball is played anymore. So what makes them interesting is what could also make them dramatic. I think this is another fun team to watch if you want to see either potential magic or more likely potential tragedy. Okay, let's, we can move swiftly on from Minnesota. We don't need to dwell on that one. Phoenix Suns are next in this tier. Okay, they made it to the NBA Finals in 21. They were on the verge last year when they had one of the most baffling collapses in the Western Conference Finals against the Dallas Mavericks. Their owner is currently uh, being tied to a rail by which he will be ridden out of town uh, for uh, grossly homophobic and racist remarks made in the offseason, question mark. Uh, oh, yeah. And also, they have a center in DeAndre Ayton who they refused to sign up until the very point where they were forced to. He didn't talk to his coach all offseason. And their best player is Chris Paul, who is 75 years old and dying. So, Phoenix Suns, are they a contender or is this about to fall apart? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Inside baseball, I have a ton of notes on all these teams. I have two notes for the Phoenix Suns. And the first is fuck these clowns. And my second note is, no, really, fuck these clowns. <laughs> I can't stand this team. I think the concerns you had about Milwaukee are the ones I have about Phoenix. If they can figure out a way to make this work without relying on Chris Paul all year, then great. Maybe there's something. But I think there's too much internal division. And this is even, and this is even aside from the Sarver stuff. This is just DeAndre Ayton, their young center. Is he going to buy in? You know, Chris Paul was critical in kind of enhancing his game and making him the player he was during that run in 21. But now Chris Paul is declining and Aiton feels marginalized by the contract situation. And it just, the vibes feel incredibly fucked in Phoenix. The vibes in Phoenix to me is that you have an absolute road warrior ready to go to war for you at any time player in like Jay Crowder and Jay mm -hmm. Crowder wants a trade. And like, I just think your team's broken. This, this, my favorite coverage of the Suns this offseason came from uh, Joel Anderson of the Hang Up and Listen podcast, who calculated how much Sarver has paid in fines to the NBA per N-word. <laughs> the Jay Crowder, <laughs> the Jay Crowder point. Jay Crowder not wanting to play hard for your team is like having a pocket full of bacon and your dog not coming when you call it. That's when you know you've really fucked up. <laughs> so the reason, again, to watch, watch Phoenix is we should have come up with an index of internal fisticuffs uh, because this team would be high on it. Somebody could like throw a towel into someone's face and then I like, drop a elbow on them on the bench at any time for this team, which yeah. has happened in Phoenix before. Shout yeah. out to Robert Ory. Yeah. So if you want to see uh, the best point guard of all time, punch a player who could drop 70 at any moment in the dick. That's reason to watch the Phoenix Suns. 
All right, you ready for our next tier? Let's do it. I'm calling this the GameStop game. This, uh, they don't really come from money, but they still believe you can climb the economic ladder with a little luck and a lot of leverage. The future may not always be bright, but at least it's not dull. And in this tier, I have Cleveland, New Orleans, Atlanta, and Memphis. So basically, this is the up next tier. I don't think they're ready for contention this year because they haven't shown it. But these teams have talent. And if this was the final four, I wouldn't be incredibly shocked. I agree with all these teams except the Pelicans. And I guess we'll get to the Pelicans when we do team-by-team uh, team breakdowns. But yeah, okay. I, I would actually... So let's put- start with the Pelicans. Give me, give me your thoughts because I'm curious. Because this, to me, they're my surest bet in this tier. So I'm curious what you think potentially doesn't work there. Uh, Zion. Is it health? Just is it just yeah, about health? Yeah, Zion say healthy. So then- here, here's the interesting thing. Let's imagine this team never had Zion Williamson, and they had just gone on the run they went on last year with their stars, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum, and their super defensive all-star rookie Herb Jones. Coming into this year, would you think this is a solid team that could like be a contender, even without considering Zion? Playing team. Playing team without okay, all right. So last year felt like luck, and they, you think they are dependent on a great Zion season to be great this year. Okay, so then let's talk about Zion because we've talked a lot about the top players in the league, and this guy I think is sort of hanging over everything like the sort of Damocles because if he is able to play, you know, seventy plus games at full health and develop an understanding of the game that players get into their third, fourth season of in the, in the league. Is there any reason he can't be the best player in the league? Hmm. Best player is probably strong, but I think like top 10, definitely. A few people have noted already. He is the kind of player who does the same thing over and over again. You know what he's going to do and yet it's impossible to stop it. And that's him going to his left scoring with his left hand in the paint. And, but as we alluded to, he's not played much. He's been hurt most of his career, and it's because he's huge. He's massive. He would stand out on a football field. If he was a left, you know, outside linebacker for a football team, you'd be like, that's a big guy. Who is that guy? And yet he's playing basketball. Like, how many games has Zion played in his professional career? Let's want to do a quick over-under? Yeah, I'm going to say, let's set the over-under at 70. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go under. Yeah. I'll go over just just so we have an over, but I think you're right. Okay. I am going into his game log on basketball reference right now. Zion Williamson has played 87 games in four seasons in the NBA. That's brutal. I mean, yeah, yeah, even if he cleared the over there, that's still, that's, that's a brutal amount. So let's move on to a team that is, has moved up the ranks of the NBA kind of quietly, I think, Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers who are for the first time in you know many, many decades relevant without LeBron James as part of their core. You know, in terms of why we should watch them, they've got this young center, Evan Mobley, who has been kind of wallowing obscurity, but he is the tastemaker's favorite. You know, beloved by uh, the recently parted and deeply beloved Jonathan Sharks. He was someone who observed him at USC and said it from the very beginning, this guy's going to be special. And he was absolutely right about that. And they've surrounded him with a lot of talented players, including Donovan Mitchell, who was another one of those fantastic bubble players who I think has kind of disappointed a little bit since then. And now he's in a new situation. And the question is, is this just a list of guys who are talented or can this be a coherent team? If they can be a coherent team, then this is a contender. 
I'm betting on them to be a coherent team just because they have that rare mix of young guys and veterans. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it is amazing that Kevin Love is still on this team, right? This is the oh shit roster of the year in terms of you look at the roster and be like, oh, they still have that guy. Karis LeVert, still a Cleveland Cavalier. Shetty Osman. Yeah, Shetty Osman, who's been with that team since 2017. Just a lot of, oh, that guy's. Which, as I've kind of been saying throughout the podcast, is not always a sure sign that a team is going to be coherent and functional. But you are betting on them to figure it out. Why do you think it works in Cleveland? I don't know. Like You just have a certain vibe with some teams. that It's like, Mm -hmm. it's their time. And I I just feel like it's Cleveland's time right now. And I feel like the East is like, this is going to be like as wide open for them as it's possibly going to be. And I love that they took that big swing at the fences. They pick up Donovan Mitchell. I also found it hilarious that the Knicks did not get Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of go for the kind of got to go for the schadenfreude angle there. Okay. But, I'll have more to say on that when we get to the Knicks. Yeah. But I mean, they have guys like Jert Allen who like, I love Jert Allen. Mm-hmm. Like I love that guy's motor on the defensive end. Like if you love blocks, like Jert Allen is like your dude. He looks and like they also have the prettiest player in the NBA, Ricky Rubio. Yeah. 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 Change your face. Ricky Rubio. Yeah. <laughs> Be happy. Alexi. Change, change his face. Be happy. Enjoy. Um, so do you get them penciled in for the second round at least this year? Or would it be a disappointment if they don't go that far? I don't know if it's a disappointment if they don't make it far, but I definitely think they're making the playoffs. And I think they're going to be one of the top four teams in the East. All right. Okay. Moving on, the Atlanta Hawks. Now, this is a team that I, I think is really highly leveraged because they gave up a lot of assets several years ago to get Trey Young. I mean, they, they passed on the chance to take Luka Doncic to take Trey Young. And they also, you know, traded a bunch of assets this offseason to add friend of Trey Young, DeJounte Murray. So now they're locked in. This is their roster, like it or not. This is, who the, this is who the Atlanta Hawks are for a while. In terms of reasons to watch them, Trey Young is a guy who is talked about so often for what he's not. Because what he's not is not Luka Doncic. The, the story has kind of become that, that Trey's a bust. Despite the fact that he has, you know, he's made it to an Eastern Conference Finals. He's been a consistent all-star. He's been a 30 points a game scorer. But even as someone who thinks that Trey gets a little bit too much hate because of his circumstances, I'm not quite sure you can build a championship team around him. I think they've gone all in to do that. And we're going to find out whether or not it works this year. My only issue with this team is this kind of like, I don't want to say that they're in the same boat as the Phoenix Suns, but there's definitely tension on this team, right? Right. This is definitely a team that has to make noise in the East this season or they're done. What I I see the Atlanta Hawks as is the Golden State Warriors are the model franchise in the NBA. And the Hawks are the guys who are trying to build the model based off of YouTube videos they're watching. And so they're like copying all the, you know, the superficial instructions but in the end, it feels like they're going to build like a grill that singes their eyebrows off because they just didn't get all the parts right. How to make the Golden State Warriors. Shall we move on to Memphis? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Reason to watch. Is John Morant, obviously he's not the best player in the league, but is he the most exciting player in the league? The, the guy who could like, do a highlight dunk or blow out his ACL on any given play. That's kind of how I see John Morant. I think he is the absolute 
reason to watch this team. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, John Morant, dark horse for MVP. Interesting. Now, in John Morant, I see an interesting sort of parallel here to the 2012 NBA draft. We had Anthony Davis, who went number one overall. And a few picks later, Damian Lillard was chosen by the Portland Trailblazers. And now you would have been a fool if you chose Damian Lillard over Anthony Davis. But I think given the fact that Damian Lillard has been up until last year, consistently healthy and a consistent contributor to, you know, not championship winning teams, but playoff teams every year has made Damian Lillard like a better, had a better NBA career than Anthony Davis. And I kind of feel like that's what John Morant is to Zion Williamson. We're like, no one would have said you should have picked John Morant over Zion, but you know, Ja is you know four years into his career now, and he's been there every year contributing to playoff teams. The Memphis's prospects this year, I, I don't think are are wildly interesting. I think that they're a team that could be in the second round or be in the Western Conference Championship. But let's talk about Ja. Do you think over the course of his career he proves himself to be a more valuable player than Zion Williamson? Yes, and, and that's a, that's that's a no brainer for you. Yes, it's just the the swagger. Unless something horrific happens where he gets injured, a la Derrick Rose, he just seems like the guy. He's totally captured Memphis in a way that Zion has alienated New Orleans. Yeah, well, I'm sure that, you know, the beignet dealers of New Orleans love Zion. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that tier. We are getting closer to the dregs of the league now. And this next year I'm going to call is the Mutual Fund Middlers. They're part of that dignified middle class. Mom and dad might never be able to afford a yacht, but they'll at least provide the kids with some hand-me-down gaming systems and a few memorable camping trips every year. Well, I'm safe to say this is probably the, this is the tier of teams we grew up in. This is sort of the ones we relate to the most. And in this tier, I have the Chicago Bulls, the Toronto Raptors, New York Knicks, Miami Heat, Portland Trailblazers, and believe it or not, I put the Washington Wizards here. You know, you swerved on me with a couple in here, and it's the Knicks and the Wizards. I'm going to love to hear your rationale. So I'll let's do the Knicks and Wizards real quick. Here's my argument for the Knicks. I think I respect their decision to not make the Carmelo Anthony mistake again, which is to... Mortgage your future for one player who is not good enough to help you win a championship. And that's what they did by trading all those assets for Kamala Anthony back in 2011. And they didn't do it for Donovan Mitchell. And I don't think they'll regret it because I don't think Donovan Mitchell is the difference for them. I think that the Knicks are choosing to do what almost no major market team chooses to do, which is to take their time. And I see them winning between 38 and 42 games, getting into the, the, the play-in tournament and helping you know, their young players, RJ Barrett, you know, accrue a important experience and rolling the ball forward one more year and getting a little bit better. But that's okay. If they were the Cleveland Knicks, if they were the Utah Knicks, if they were the Minnesota Knicks, we'd all say, this is a smart franchise that's taking their time figuring it out. Because they're the New York Knicks, there's this expectation that they're going to do the most audacious thing possible at any given moment. And I kind of respect the fact that they didn't. 
I agree with your take on the Donovan Mitchell trade. Donovan Mitchell wasn't going to make a difference for the Knicks. I disagree with your long-term outlook for the Knicks. This is going to be a bad team this year. I don't think they're making the plan. You see them less than 38 wins. Oh, definitely. Okay. I don't think this team works. And I don't think Jalen Brunson is going to be the guy that drags them to a playing spot. So where, where do you see them ending up? Uh, like a 30-win team. Okay. Okay. So is there any reason to watch them this year other than Nick Schadenfreude? Well, Nick Schadenfreude is the reason to watch the Knicks because <laughs> no, no other fans in the NBA suffer quite like New York Knicks fans do. I think they suffer. I think they suffer entertainingly. Yes. Yes. And if you want to have an insight into all the New York Knicks jokes, like this is the team that you should follow. I should say that Dave and I are also kind of obsessed with like bad teams. Yeah. There's a certain bonding exercise that you get with a bad team that you don't get with a good team. Right. This is going to be a bad Knicks team. Maybe that's the reason you should buy in. Yeah. Rooting for a bad team is like being a fan of a really underground band. There's not a lot of assholes going to those shows because just there's not a lot of people who know about them. You're going to get a certain class of enthusiast uh, alongside you if you're rooting for a really bad team. Now, I don't think the Knicks are going to be terrible. I think that they're going to kind of split the difference between that outrageously good Julius Randle year they had two years ago and the outrageously bad season he had last year. I think they split the difference and come up around 38 wins. But either way, the reason to watch the Knicks is because if it does all fall apart, you will be on the ground floor of some of the most uh, ludicrous meme-making in the NBA internet. As to the Washington Wizards, here's how it goes bad. How it goes bad is they lose seven games in a row early in the season, and they just start selling off parts, and then they tank. But Bradley Beal has refused to accept a trade or request a trade. He has bought in 100%. And I think with a little bit of continuity, I think this team finds its way to mediocre. Wolf is shaking his head no. What do you foresee for the Washington Wizards? Uh, another terrible season. Another lost season. Beal's they made the play-in. They made the play-in two years ago. Doesn't matter. Beal is going to go off for like 38, and this team is going to be bad again. I just don't see it. Who, who else on this team besides Bradley Beal is going to carry the weight? So Porzingis enters the year ready to play a full season. Here's my question to you about Porzingis. Is he cashed? at age 27 or is it just really really hard for a player with his particular skill set to play beside Luca? He's cashed. He's not the same player after the injury. He's totally lost all confidence. I don't think he's good. He's he's on his Andre Bagnani shit right now. And, and there's no way to there's no way to build him back up. Nope. Okay. So <laughs> I I appreciate I appreciate your confidence here. The Wizards are 2 and 0. That's already maybe two more wins than you had them penciled in for this year. Two wins of 25. Yeah. <laughs> I see them at 35. I see them at 35 and making the play in. And here's why. Because unless they just send Bradley Beal home, they're not going to be in the tank for Wembenyana sweepstakes. So they're going to get those wins just based on the fact that they're going to be so many teams who have sent their players home or are playing rosters full of G-leaguers. And I think that's how they get to 35. There's just too much like NBA experience and competence on the raw. It's not great players, but like having someone like Kyle Kuzma and Bradley Beal in your starting lineup, when you're going up against Charlotte, and you're talking they have, yourself into Kyle Kuzma. 
it's about who they're playing against this year. It's about these teams that are going to be throw, literally throwing games. And Washington can't throw games because they can't send Bradley Beal home. He won't allow it. He's not Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's a, a 30-year-old who is going to play a whole season. I don't think they have to scheme for that because I think Beal's usage is going to be so high, he's not going to play the full season anyway. You think he's going to get injured? Oh, yeah. What odds would you give me on 33 wins for the Washington Wizards? Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Like, <laughs> what do you want me to do on the podcast when they hit 33 <laughs> wins? This is the question. <laughs> it's funny because we like all the same stuff. So I can't like make you, I can't like pick out like some random album and make you review it because you probably just <laughs> like it. So I'll, I'll find something embarrassing that Wolf has to do if the, if the Wizards win 33 games, th- more than 32 and a half games. And likewise, I'll, you'll find something embarrassing for me to do if they win less than 32 and a half. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're, we're virtually shaking on it right now. Yeah. I mean, this is like the same team as the Knicks to me, except that there's no history of success in Washington. At least the Knicks have like Leon Rose, like steadying the ship. Again, I just, I, I point to the fact that they made the play in two years ago and half the league is intentionally trying to lose games this season. And I don't think they'll be in a position to do that. If Bradley Beal was a traditional superstar, he would have shot his way out of town already. Instead, he signed this massive extension. And so they have the misfortune of having their best player trying this season, which a lot of other teams in this category aren't going to have. So I think that's, I think makes me think Washington might be mediocre. Hello, welcome to Wizards Watch. The Washington Wizards are currently five and six. They need 28 more wins before Wolf feeds himself into a wood chipper. All right. The rest of the middle class here. You want to talk Portland, Miami, Toronto, or Chicago? Who you, who's, who's up next? Uh, let's do Chicago first. Okay. Actually, here's my question to you while we, while, we stick on, while we stick on Washington. Why is it assumed that Chicago is going to be, say, above the, the Washington-New York tier? They have better players. So you're, we're we're referring to, you know, obviously Zach Levine, Demar Derozan, Vucevic. So you you think that is that like what happened last year was not the result of sort of just like over-indexing on effort in a league where most teams don't try hard every night, and this there's a recipe for consistent success here. Yeah, I think the reason that you gave for why Washington's going to be good in that there's too much NBA talent on that team is why Chicago is going to be good. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to be like good, good, but I think they're going to be better than the other teams in this tier. What do you have them penciled in for in terms of the range of wins? <sighs> like 45 to 50. You, you think 45 to 50. So that's where those 10 extra wins. That's, that's where the 10 win difference is for Washington, because I've got Washington at around 35 and I've got Chicago around like 38, 42. But if you if you see Chicago as a fifty win team, those wins have to come from somewhere, and it, it makes sense to take them from Washington. But this is the team I see falling off. I think you know, despite the fact that a lot of the East contenders like Miami and Chicago have struggled earlier in the season, I do think it is it, it's stronger than it was last season. And I, you know, with with Lonzo Ball out, you know, for God knows how long. Um, I'm not 100% confident that Chicago can recapture the magic of last year. And reminder, the, the magic of last year was getting blown out in the first round by Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'd like, 
I think Caruso is a good player, and I think Caruso is going to fill in okay for Alonzo. So okay. that's my rationale there. Okay. Is there a reason to watch this team? And by the way, we can be honest. We can say no. Uh, Zach Levine. Okay. Yeah. Zach Levine, Zach Levine does cool dunks. Yeah. Although he doesn't do in dunk contests anymore. No, no, no. But I mean, that's a, that's a better fate than Aaron Gordon, who's like built his whole personality around losing the dunk contest. Like oh my times. God. You want to do a, you want to drop in the, the rap song real quick? <laughs> sure. Nine out of 10, I'm going to keep his end. Nine out of 10, can you please fix your lens? Nine out of 10, got you playing pretend. Nine out of 10, here we go again. Nine out of 10, could have brought the family back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's talk quickly about uh, Toronto. Maybe should be in a higher tier. People are getting excited about Toronto. Really well-coached team. Lots of depth. A lot of 6'8 guys who can guard multiple positions. Scotty Barnes, maybe, you know, the next big thing. What do you think about Toronto? I just don't think they have a guy. I think it's like a bunch of... Siakam, not a guy. No, it's a bunch of twos and threes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's a definite guy vacuum here. Does Scotty Barnes have any, have any guy in him? <laughs> <laughs> I would love for Barnes to have some guy in him. Yeah. The, um... <laughs> Probably more than Scotty Barnes would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we've been trying to make Siakam a thing for so long. Like, I don't think he doesn't seem like the star for Toronto. Right. Yeah. He's, just, a, like, he's a classic, you know, two and a half. Yeah. I'm like, uh, who else is there? Like, I can't even think. OG and Anobi. OG Ananobi is uh, not a guy. Fred Van Vliet, not a guy. Not a guy. OG is like, I don't even know if OG is a rotation piece anymore. Right. Like he's looked super bad. So, but you know, it's Toronto. Like, I think they're going to be coached to success, but I don't think they're going to get very far this year. You think they belong in the middle class? Uh, yeah. Any reason to watch? I think the reason to watch is Scotty Barnes. I think the the reason to watch is, you know, this 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 young guy who is establishing himself is probably one of the, you know, Maybe not next, but next to next in terms of, you know, most exciting players in the league. Has Caruso on him, backing in. Continues to go to work with the move and the throwdown. Vicious. Scotty B had enough and said, I'm backing it in and taking it to the... All right, we've got two more in this middle class tier here. We've got the Portland Trailblazers and we've got the Miami Heat. Who do you want? Let's talk Heat first. Okay. I think it's over. I think the party's over Miami. I think they pushed it to the absolute limit last year. I think that breakaway wide open three-pointer that Jimmy Butler took was the last big moment that Miami Heat fans are going to enjoy with this team. Um, And that's not meant to be dismissive. This is a team that fought really hard, that found success on the fringes by picking up players that no one else was even aware of. Um, they take the game very seriously. They're going to try hard every night, but I think they are running on absolute fumes at this point. I have a hot take for you. What's that? This is the year that Jimmy Butler gets traded. So here's the question. Where does he go? Because he could be really valuable to a lot of teams in that 1% tier we talked about. So Michael Pina at the ringer, he had you know just proposed the idea of a Butler going to Denver, where I think he'd be an absolute great fit. And Miami could potentially take back an asset like Michael Porter Jr., who's maybe not ready to contribute to a championship-level team. I think that makes sense for both teams. But we're talking reasons to watch Miami this year. This is maybe not the most exciting reason, but there are a few teams that try hard every night in the NBA. Miami is one of them. So if you want to actually see 
you know, professional level effort from a basketball game, you'll see it in a Miami game. Do you, do you have any belief in Tyler hero? Uh, as what? <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> I think it just said it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a, he's a six man. And one of the most like abject moments in Celtics fandom history was people like, you know, losing their bottle over the fact that we didn't pick Tyler hero. No big deal. It's fine. It's fine. Dime a dozen. Last team in this tier are the Portland Trailblazers. I maybe have them too high, but I think a full season of Damian Lillard trying gets you to 45 wins. So that's why they belong here. They're not going to play any defense, but I think the roster actually makes a little more sense now than it did prior to the McCollum trade. I think Josh Hart and Anthony Simons uh, in that starting lineup with Dame gives them a little more wing depth so they can be at least, you know, slightly less than mediocre defensively, which is better than just abjectly awful, which is what they usually are. And Dame Willard is one of those guys who's going to bring NBA finals level effort every single night of the season. Like he's like playing mind games with the Phoenix Suns on the second game of the season, you know, like getting into people's heads and, you know, treating it like it's game seven of the finals and game two of the regular season. So I think that's a reason to watch the Portland Trailblazers. Lillard, a chance to send the Thunder home. Lillard, long range three, and it's good! At the buzzer, Damian Lillard! Are you kidding me? Dame Lillard is kind of like one of these conservative influencers who talks about like, the importance of like family, you know, in, in that Dame talks about like how he'll never run from the grind in Portland. And so like those like conservative influencer guys like have to stay in these like loveless marriages forever to maintain their brand. And Dame has to like stay on Portland forever now because he talks so much shit about guys who demand trades that he can never do it. <laughs> so he's just stuck playing here forever to like maintain the bit and maintain his image as a guy who will never run. So I think it's actually kind of funny to see like how Dame puts on like a happy face. I mean, this happened last season when Henry Abbott was like reporting that Dame had requested a trade, which he probably did. And then Dame like came out and said, I didn't request a trade. I think only just to like shove it in Henry Abbott's face. (laughs) So uh, if you want to see an NBA player, building his entire life and personality around spite. That's a good reason to watch the Portland Trailblazers because that is Damian Lillard right now. Okay, we are getting into our final two tiers. We are moving not so swiftly along here, but now we are into the young, dumb, and broke tier. They're splitting a three-bedroom apartment with six other people, eating ramen for dinner every night, and buying shampoo at the dollar store. You know the life. You've all lived it. At least I'm sure me and Wolf have. But you know what? They're happy. Unless you're a child of the one percenters, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. This is what life at the bottom is supposed to be like. And these are the teams I see in the young, dumb, and broke tier. This is our biggest tier. In this tier, we have Indiana, Utah, Detroit, Orlando, Sacramento, OKC, Houston, and San Antonio. So the, the, the non-cynical way to look at this is these are young teams that are going to be scrappy and developing and just, you know, learning the ropes of the NBA. The completely cynical way of looking at it is these are rosters that were built for one reason and one reason only, which is to lose as many games as possible in order to secure the services of 
Victor Wembenyana, the uh, odds on favorite for number one pick and the most exciting NBA prospect in decades. This is a pretty grim collection of teams. Does the fact that they've all been kind of competitive early in the season say anything to you or is it just the weirdness of the early season? Just the weirdness of the early season. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe um, anything that's really in the season, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the real outlier here is Utah who's already taken a couple wins early in the season. Uh, much to everyone's surprise, we were all kind of sure that they would be the loseriest of losers this year. The Utah Jazz are currently 10 and three and are first in the West. Carl Malone has started working out. John Stockton has fortified himself in a bunker because the vaccine is still killing 1.5 million athletes a day. We have been talking about these teams for quite some time now, and this is a very big tier. So let's just rapid fire these. Give me your one sentence thought on each of these guys as I run through them. Do you have those ready? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, Indiana. Watch because of Halliburton and because they're going to trade Miles Turner and Buddy Hill. Right. I would add to that Matherin. Uh, is another reason to watch. Hand the keys over to Matherin and Halliburton. They should be a fun, bad team. Utah. Uh, don't watch this team. Uh, Danny Ainge stacking assets once again. They're going to literally shun players who make more than 40% of their shots. Detroit. I kind of sneaky like this team. Me too. And I'm kind of interested to see how Cade grows. Cade Cunningham. I think he is developing in semi-obscurity into one of the most potentially important players in the league. Someone you can build a winning team around. Orlando. This one could go either way, right? They could be like a a team of young dudes that kind of like fire on all cylinders and make noise. They got Paulo Benchero, Mm -hmm. number one pick this season, who looks like great so far. Yeah, looks like an NBA player. Yeah, so, you know, that's not a guarantee at the number one pick anymore. I have a question as to if they can figure out what is going on in the backcourt there. Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz, do any of those guys sort of distinguish themselves as someone you can hang a hat on? Probably my biggest weakness is believing that Markel Fultz can be a starting NBA point guard. I really, really want it to happen. Um, I don't know if it can, but if it did, it would make me very happy. It's tough because I want the redemption story, and he's had such a tough career so far. Right. And I want it to happen so badly, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'll be rooting for them, and they're high on my potentials of league pass teams for Ben Caro and for the the human factor of rooting for Markel Fultz, who, if you, again, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to split the difference here between people who like the NBA and people who are trying to convince to like the NBA. Markel Fultz, former top three pick in the NBA draft, Never really got a chance to get his career started because he had this weird sort of like half shoulder injury, half like total anxiety blockage that made him forget how to shoot a basketball. He had to go through this intense like relearning period where I think his shooting coach was dating his mom. Oh, damn. Uh, it just got really weird for him. And I think he's slowly but surely building his life back up in the NBA. And I hope he can figure it out. Uh, can right. I give you Can I give you a sneaky pick for the ball handler in Orlando? Yeah. Hit me. Bull, bull. Bull, bull. Uh, San Antonio. You know what? Skip this one. Don't watch the Spurs this year. Don't watch the Spurs, but don't be surprised if Pop drags his team to like 30 wins. Uh, purely out of disdain for the uh, literally everybody. Yeah. Uh, OKC. Okay, and on this one, I am I am putting my foot down. 
do not watch this team. Do not support this team. Do not allow Sam Presti to continue what he's doing, which is running a money laundering scheme in a basketball jersey, pretending to have a long-term plan when he really has just built a jobs program for himself where he can never win any games ever and propose it to the fans as a long-term plan. I feel very strongly about this. Danny Ainge rebuilt his teams while putting a passable product on the court. And Presti does not do that, which I find really frustrating. I mean, like, it's money laundering. It's just like, it's it's a total front. I mean, he is he has secured his position by selling these fans on these magic beans that are going to sprout one year from now. And then next year, it's one more year. And the next year, it's, this could all work out in the end. But like, even the the greatest possible fulfillment of this style of running an NBA team has culminated in what? The Philadelphia 76ers, a team that we've both predicted to totally fall off the shelf this year. Counterpoint, Poku. <laughs> Counter, counterpoint, next year, what if they have an entire starting lineup that's over seven feet tall? That could be fun. It's going to sound like, you know how uh, when a bunch of coat hangers fall off the rack in the closet? And it makes that weird kind of like skeletal jangling sound. That's what it's going to sound like when the OKC roster is running up and down the court. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Okay, moving on. Houston. Don't know what to do with this team. Um, I think they're kind of in year two of a a process and they could be more feisty this year, but still not ready to do anything. Uh, They're going to suck, but I would recommend watching them because it's just a team of dudes that jump high. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome to watch. So that's the, why I watch Houston, because jumping is cool. Sacramento. I think the biggest mistake everyone made in the offseason was predicting this team to be good this year. They are the classic, lots of guys who can give you 15, but have never contributed to winning in any way. I think they're going to be disappointing and bad again. I think they're a 28-32 win team, and that's it. Can we talk real quick about a team that's not here? Maybe we're able to parlay this into our final tier. Let's do it. Charlotte. That's right. Okay, Charlotte. They just, they belong in this tier too. Cursed, totally cursed. Cursed off season, really bad. Oh man. So here's my question for you: Who trades more players, the Indiana Pacers or the Charlotte Hornets? Of all the players who are on one of these abject teams, the one that can contribute the most to a contender, despite his horrendous. Uh, hairstyling choices is Gordon Hayward. So I don't think Charlotte trades the most players, but I think they could get the most back. I think Hayward's gone. I think Terry Rozier's gone too. Of all these teams here, these these middlers, Indiana, Utah, Detroit, Orlando, Sacramento, OKC, Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, is there any one of them that's worth watching this year? Any one of them that should be put on someone's league pass list? We had hinted at Orlando or Detroit. Are, are those the two? Yeah, I think so. I would have favored Detroit over the two if I had to pick one. Yeah, I think I think if you I think watching a handful of Detroit games, you can get on, in on the ground floor of the Cade Cunningham experience, which I think is going to be a good one. All right, we're on to our final tier here, and I'm calling this the Dad's Accountant is Bernie Madoff tier. On the surface, they had it all. All the trappings of a luxury lifestyle, summers in the Hamptons, winters in Tahoe, the full faith and trust of the Chinese Communist Party and Genie Bus. But despite the seemingly perfect exterior, something disastrous was brewing beneath the surface. The two teams here are the Los Angeles Lakers. And I put the Brooklyn Nets back in this tier because this is where they actually belong. 
They're not a fringe contender. They are a disaster waiting to happen. We've talked about Brooklyn. What the hell is going on in Los Angeles? Who knows? This is like the greatest mystery of our time. It is shocking to me that a team with two of the 15 best players in the league in LeBron James and Anthony Davis could potentially be the worst team in the league. Like, they're not a contender in any way. They're not a playing contender in my mind. I don't see 30 wins here unless something drastically changes. Now, the Lakers have done this at least two times in the past, and both those teams were passable. The Carl Malone, Gary Payton, Kobe Bryant team made it to the finals. Mm -hmm. And the Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, Kobe team at least made it to the playoffs. What this team reminds me of is the, after Kobe Bryant tore his Achilles, missed a season, and then was given an enormous two-year contract extension in which he came back and played meaningless basketball in which all that was accomplished is Kobe Bryant added to his, he polished his legacy. And that's what I see happening here. We have a sort of collection of useless rotation players that aren't going to be developing or part of the long-term plan in Los Angeles in any way. And they might continue to strip themselves of assets in order to appease LeBron James, but there's no future here. All that's happening is LeBron James is going to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer this season. There's nothing else happening here. There's no future. There's no plan. There's no vision. It's just, we had LeBron James. Because we're in Los Angeles, he wants to be here. But nobody stopped to think about how to construct a basketball team around him. I mean, the frustrating thing is, you know, this is a team that won a championship and they had the roster around LeBron. If you look at all the guys that are no longer on this team that are succeeding in other roles on other teams, like it is supremely frustrating. So it's partly that they lost, they lost some really important role players. The other part of this is the Lakers won that championship in that bubble season, which we've referred to several times throughout the podcast, which we have said was realer than real in some ways, but, but fake in other ways. But something that was certainly unique about it was that Anthony Davis was playing out of his mind and hitting mid-range jump shots, which since then he has completely lost the ability to do altogether. So beyond just the fact that the roster is abysmal around LeBron James is that Anthony Davis is not the player he used to be. And he's still very good but he's not the type of player he was that allowed them to be dominant during that playoff run. Let me ask you this. If this team is LeBron, Kyle Kuzma, Alec Caruso, and Josh Hart, plus whatever center, how much better Zubac. is that team? Zubac was a member of this core. Right. Who's playing serviceable minutes for the Clippers right now. Right. I think it would be, it's better than this team. They wouldn't have won a championship two years ago. So anybody who you know, wants to push back against this argument about the Lakers should have been more patient and taken time to develop their players. They, they have the trump card there. But the reality is it wouldn't just be Lonzo and Josh Hart. It'd also be, and Kyle Kuzma, it'd be Brandon, Brandon Ingram, um, who was another guy they gave up in order to get Anthony Davis. And did they win a championship or not with that core? I don't know. But I think it would be a much more interesting Lakers team. It would have been I think a fascinating final act in LeBron James's career would have been investing in young talent around him and seeing if they could have developed into something sustainable that persisted even after he retired. The idea of him helping those four young guys we mentioned, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, develop into big-time players that he could trust to play in a playoff game with, 
to me, that's much more interesting than mortgaging it all for Anthony Davis winning a title in a COVID-shortened, no fans allowed in the arena championship, and then immediately disintegrating. I would have been curious to see him take the other path, the more long-term, patient, sustainable path. My counterpoint to this is, as a longtime Russell Westbrook hater, this fucking rules. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like as a as a diehard Celtics fan, the thing I root for the most is is the Celtics, and the thing I root for the second most is for the Lakers to be abysmal. And they have come through a lot the last three years. I mean, they did win that title during the pandemic year, but since then, it's been it's been a nightmare. It's there's no plan. There's there's they're not going anywhere, and they might see trading for you know those guys like Gordon Hayward and Buddy Heald and. Miles Turner as the escape plan. So you mortgage the future again by trading first round draft picks. And what does that get you? Get you 45 wins and then out in the second round? I mean, be my guest, I guess. Our final point of business here, who am I going to follow as a league pass team this year? Okay. So when you're picking a league pass team, there's a couple of things you want to take into consideration. Number one, of course, is just entertainment factor. Uh, number two, they have to have a limited number of national games. So you actually get the bang for your buck and you're not blacked out. And you want to have young players. You want to have someone who I think is going to be sort of outside of contention. So you can actually, a lot of these teams, you'll be able to just catch them in the playoffs. So you're going to get a team that you're going to get sort of the most important part of their year, which is the regular season. I think the top contenders here are Detroit. I think Cleveland is a contender, even though they're going to be making it to the playoffs. Just they're not like they're not going to have a ton of national games. Memphis because of Ja, and I would put Orlando in that tier as well because of all their young guys and because of Ben Carroll. You know, as a as a as a person that came of age watching the Celtics in the '80s, I can't believe I'm saying this. Give me the Pistons. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. This is gonna this is gonna be like pure basketball. Yeah, I think this is a team that's going to like be trying every night, but going to be coming up against the limits of their potential and not quite succeeding. But I think you'll be able to learn a lot about basketball by watching them, by seeing how they succeed and how they fail. And you get to see Cade, who is a maestro. Let's take a break and then we'll be back with recommendations. Hey, this is your least favorite Lupine, Wolf Rambats, and I'm here with Steven Davis. Stevenson Davidson, how you doing, man? Doing great. Hey, so uh, we got a podcast called the Plague Rages Podcast. It is a heavy metal podcast for two heavy metal writers talk about music. And uh, Steve, Dave, like, what kind of shenanigans do we get up to? Oh, you know, we like wax poetic about our sad dating lives. Did you have any, any other hobbies other than listening to metal? Jim B, bad news, bad news. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about what our new favorite tracks are. I have no shame saying this, that End of Time is on my list of dumbest songs that have almost made me cry. Oh, dude, Future Cars. <laughs> we revisit albums that we think maybe deserve a second chance. I've been regretting this ever. Like, <laughs> Yeah, all that good stuff. So if uh, you'd like to check that out, you can hear us at plaguerages.substack.com. All right, now we are back with recommendations. Dave, this week I am recommending an exercise. My black market compadre, Aaron Larivier, is the king of masochistic music pursuits. He binges artists' discographies in one go. 
every album back to back. I immortalized these marathons in a column a few years back when he ran through every Candle Corpse album in chronological order. The Aaron effect, as it's come to be known, produces some interesting reappraisals of a band's history. New things seem to leap out when every album is duking it out with one another. For instance, what felt disappointing at the time, because of the year-long anticipation for a new release, is sometimes corrected when you only have to wait seconds between albums. And naturally, the inverse occurs. When an album that feels like it delivered on expectations in the moment is actually a turd when sandwiched in between better records. The Aaron Effect provides real-time insight, challenging your preconceptions, and providing a fleeting glimpse at the unvarnished truth. There's no better way to stress test how you really feel about an artist's discography. Anyway, Aaron and I have been secretly doing a lot of these binges this year. He just wrapped up Mekong Delta. Nice. Hell yeah. So I, I think he's heard more Mekong Delta at this point than people in Mekong Delta. <laughs> or at least remembers more of it. Yeah, yeah. So I plan on using these binges to correct holes in my musical knowledge. Thus, I have been listening to every album by The Cult, a band I really only remember thanks to their singles and singer Ian Asbury's collaboration with Boris. So the question was, if I like the vibe of She Sells Sanctuary, is there anything else in the catalog for me? Is The Cult actually a great band that I've been missing out on. <laughs> well, Dave, let me tell you, if you walk up the 999 steps, the Colt mountaintop where I now sit, wizened with a beard that's as long as I am sagacious, I will tell you that the Colt sucks. But yeah. somehow, yeah. somehow, someway, Bob Rock rescues this band from themselves twice. First on the classic Sonic Temple, which is basically goth Queensryche doing a bar crawl with Skid Row. Second on Beyond Good and Evil, which is the band's answer to Nickelback. I've left my cult binge with a new appreciation for Bob Rock. Who would have thunk it? Anyway, if you're curious about the cult, buy a greatest hits compilation and thank me later. This is the wisdom that can only come with the binge. All hail the Aaron effect. All right. Well, this week I want to talk about an album that is definitely rightly generating a lot of love and buzz, at least on my corner of the internet. It is Mother of Graves, Where the Shadows Adorn. And this is Melodic Doom Death. And let's cut immediately to the bone. If you like Melodic Doom slash death metal, you'll like this. I do, and I do. But I want to talk about genre for a moment, and more specifically, why genre specialists deserve their due. There was some commentary about whether or not their previous album was simply walking in the steps of Catatonia's early work, but I think that's entirely beside the point. Melodic Doom Death is a genre that rewards songwriters who embrace its tropes while spinning out their own memorable riffs and melodic lead lines. Mother of Graves play this game masterfully. Mid-paced chug riffs march alongside four-on-the-floor syncopated drum beats. Aeolian uber alles leads dance through middle registers and Acrofeltian growls straddle the line between brutality and surprising warmth. And you know those downstroke riffs played on the G and B strings that bridge the gap between Doom Death and 17 Seconds Era Cure? They nail those too. On Where the Shadows Adorn, Mother of Graves doesn't push the Doom Death genre forward so much as they reaffirm why the tropes are a durable vehicle for emotionally resonant songcraft. This is worth the hype, and I think it's worth your cash on Bandcamp. So this is a band that deserves love. I also don't think they terribly need it from me, considering how everyone is going gaga over this band right now. 
on metal Twitter. And that's great. They deserve it. They are awesome. They seem like really cool guys. I hope that they get 10 times the success that they have right now. But it made me think about an album I wanted. I don't have anything written for this, but I just want to talk about it with you. In the early 2000s, sort of goth slash doom death was one of my favorite genres. And one band that I've seen totally disappear because their music is not available for streaming is Rapture. Do you remember this band? Hell yes! Rapture started off as a mellow death band, yeah? Right. Sort of in the same league as bands like Novembre and Charon, they kind of really competent, super like super solid chops, but not shreddy, right in between that Discouraged Ones and Brave Murder Day Catatonia. I mean, unabashed worship of those albums. And the album I want to recommend to everybody is, a, is an album called Songs for the Withering. Um, which is not available on any streaming. I don't even know where you can buy it, but if you can search it out, it's definitely just super, super songwriting-oriented doom death, right in that sweet spot between, like I said, Brave Murder Day and Discouraged Ones. Kind of cheesy, clean vocals over those really like growly, like really deep Cookie Monster, Acrofeltian screams. And it bums me out so much that this is a band that is totally lost to history because in the summer of 2005, I listened to this band nonstop. It was like the only thing in my CD player, but this kind of music, I consider it a songwriter genre because you don't need to innovate. You don't need to push it forward. You just need to use the tropes that it provides to kind of fill out the, the chord progressions, those downstroke riffs and the really kind of like weepy melodic leads. If you know how to write that kind of stuff, you can do it over and over again, and it never gets boring. One funny thought about Rapture. First off, Finland, like what a place. Yeah. The, like the music <laughs> that Finland produces, is, it blows my mind considerably. It's, it's, it's the, if, if Norway is Mario Brothers 1 and Sweden is Mario Brothers 3, Finland is Mario Brothers 2. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's superficially there's like it's kind of it's, it's it's associated but it's so weird and different and like bizarro yeah yeah definitely like rapture has definitely got those like amorphous leads yeah. like all throughout their catalog the funny story i was going to talk about with rapture is just like how funny it is which metal bands make it and which don't i remember when swallow the sun came out and i was like oh they're just doing a rapture thing well i hope that works out for them. everybody loved that every so often an album like this will come out and people will go all in swallow the sun their debut album is an example of it daylight dies dismantling devotion is an example of a doom death album that everyone lost their mind over november's doom american doom death band that hit that sweet spot it's awesome that it's happening for mother of graves right now they deserve it they're so fucking awesome i wish it happened for rapture too because i i Nothing would make me happier than getting a new album from them every two years. Yeah. Unless they had gone the Catatonia route, then I wouldn't be so interested. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a great pull. I love that one. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. So uh, bottom line, check out Songs for the Withering by Rapture and check out Sonic Temple by The Cult. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love it. All right, Dave, uh, where can people find you and what else is going on? All right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dave Fons, and you can find Ancient Enemy on Bandcamp, ancientenemy.bandcamp.com. Uh, still plenty of downloads available. <laughs> <laughs> Not running out at the download depot. Yeah. No, no. Plenty of good streams available, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm just going to plug my link tree. I finally have one of those. I'm at right W Rambats. So just go to my link tree. All my garbage is there. I don't click on some stuff. I don't know. Maybe feel better. <laughs> if you want to, yeah, he's just the raccoon hanging out in the, in the garbage pile. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to split an apple core with him, <laughs> you'll be glad to share. <laughs> oh man. I'm like the, I'm like the, the possum that looks on like 200 feet away. Like, will cats eat their food. let's go just go all right Uh, that is it for us our theme song is welcome by new sweet breath you can find that banger it's 1996 full-length demolition theater you can find more of greg markle's amazing music at gregmarklemusic.com you can subscribe to run out grooves on your podcatcher of choice leave us a rating and review please if you like us share us around if you'd like to drop us a line you can email us at runoutgroovespod at gmail.com Dave Fonseca, this is Wolf Rambats, signing off. Goodbye. Hey, Wolf, before we go, uh, I found this half-eaten burrito in the garbage behind my house. You want to split it? I'm already there, man. Look behind you. Later, guys. (laughs) Get it